Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hello, welcome to Jules Says. I'm Jules, Julie, Jubes, grandmother. If you like this podcast, please share, rate, review. Someone asked me last week why I specifically said, please share with women. I think it's just because, in general, I find women my age resist the podcast more than men do. But by all means, if you think any of the guys would like this, share with them too. The more the merrier. You know, it's great seeing the trash mags and the tabloids show pictures of your child and quoting her out of context. Actually, it's not great. I don't love it. One of the things recently, though, was pictures of Catherine holding Fena and enjoying a glass of wine. And, of course, the ensuing pile-on about drinking while breastfeeding, which apparently is quite safe in moderation, and I'm not going to go into the details of that here. Those studies are available anywhere, and Catherine talked about it on her own podcast telling everybody everything, where she tells everybody everything. In January, though, the Canadian Centre on Substance Abuse, no, Substance Use and Addiction, CCSA, published new guidelines that say no amount of alcohol is safe, not just for breastfeeding mums, but for anyone. The study goes on to recommend a maximum of two drinks per week, as alcohol-related deaths soar in Canada. The study found that the cancer risk of one standard drink is comparable to one cigarette for men and two for women, and a lot of times booze and cigarettes go together like love and marriage for some people. The report has been criticized for using cancer as a scare tactic, with no evidence of radically increased risk except for people with oral cancers, liver disease, obviously, and some other variables. And as always, context is everything. But aside from cancer, some of the research suggests that alcohol can negatively impact mental health. What a surprise. Or increase risk of cognitive problems Dementia, that doesn't surprise me. Vitamin absorption, sugar processing, which of course all of that makes sense to me. Not to mention the societal risks of alcohol abuse. I'm not talking about 
moderate social drinking. I'm talking about abuse, excessive drinking that may contribute to things like increased violence, impaired driving, financial stress, reduced productivity, or even, as was the case with me, just growing up with a twisted idea of normal. I've had a long relationship with alcohol. For as long as I can remember, my father, Ted, drank, ah, maybe three fingers less than a 40-ounce of rye every day, except for when he did a dry January, which was brutal, because when he quit drinking for January, he also quit smoking and went on a diet. It was awful. No wonder he was miserable. The trifecta. My mother, Doroth, usually had a drink or two in the evening, too, although she never overdid it. And of course, when you grow up with something, it doesn't necessarily occur to you that everyone isn't doing the same, or at least to some extent. Plus, the fact that my father could drink anyone under the table was an enormous source of family pride. Maybe not for Dorothy, but for us, it was something to aspire to. And all of that was uh, mixed up with my idea that women were less than. Goddamn broads. When I was little, I used to wish that I had been a boy so badly, not because I suffered from sexual dysmorphia, absolutely not. I always felt very much like I was a girl. I always felt feminine. But even from a very early age, it seemed to me that I would just be better off. I would be better if I were a boy. As children, we used to lie awake in bed, unable to sleep, listening to our parents talking at the kitchen table, the drinks being poured, the ice clinking in the glass, Dorothy speaking in soft tones, Ted getting louder and louder the later it got, sometimes yelling, his fist pounding on the table, sometimes just talking, rambling. I used to sometimes overhear him tell my mother, Julie should have been a goddamn boy. Yup, I guess I should have been a boy. So I aspired to be a boy in as many ways as I could, even though even though I wasn't tomboyish and I felt and looked so very feminine. But I tried to be less sensitive. I tried to be tough. Being tough was the other aspirational quality, right up there with being able to drink someone under the table. Julie's so goddamn tough. That was a quality that was valued. But I was always pretty sensitive deep down, and I was excruciatingly shy. But I wanted to fit in with the boys. I wanted to be good enough. So I had to learn to be tough, snide, sarcastic, aloof, always in control. And I had to be able to hold my liquor. But since I wasn't a boy, I also had to be beautiful and thin. Because the best thing a woman could be was sexy, of course. I hated that even as I aspired to it. I hated it when Ted commented that one of my friends was the sexiest broad he had ever seen in his life. We were 14 at the time. It was gross. And so I knew that I would never be beautiful enough or thin enough to really be worth anything. And yet, I would never be a boy. So I, I kind of, so I think I became this weird combination of shy, sensitive, suspicious, caustic, 
I don't remember how young I was when I learned to like whiskey. I don't remember not liking whiskey. Rye whiskey to start, as that was the bottle on the kitchen counter every night. Weiser's Canadian Rye Whiskey, which I drank on the rocks. That seemed cool. The bonus was not adding ginger ale, as Dorth preferred it, kept my calorie count low. But I wasn't cool. I was a useless, unsexy, timid, insecure, goddamn broad. I wasn't even a broad because I was a late bloomer, which Ted loved to tease me about. I had a turkey neck. I, I, I felt so embarrassed when he laughed about how I took after him in the chest department. Actually, though, he was pretty overweight with a big old executive man stomach, and his man boobs were probably bigger than mine. So I didn't actually take after him, did I? Add to that the fact that he made no secret of how impressed he was with my friend's voluptuousness. Oh my God, please keep your distance from him, I implored them before they came over. Don't sit on his lap. But a part of me was a little bit jealous that they got some attention, even though it was the kind of attention no one wants. In spite of everything, for whatever reason, I wanted my father to like me to view me with some kind of value. I suppose that's natural. I certainly don't think my father was abusive, but I've read that even children of abusive parents want their parents to value them. I guess that's just a natural need that children maybe have. But then one night when I was about 14, I was invited to drink at the kitchen table. Even though I knew it was because no one else was available, I have to admit I felt privileged, happy to be seen, to be included. You have to understand that when Ted wasn't drinking, he was more or less silent. I don't remember much about sober Ted other than him occasionally looking at a report card saying things like, well, if you can get 90%, why the hell wouldn't you get 100 Or... Do you want to pour me a drink? Or, um, how could you be so goddamn stupid? That was the classic. Or, you've never earned an egg in your life. <laughs> Lord and master of nothing. Or he would just watch sports, or he'd be dozing in front of the TV. Typical dad stuff, I suppose. He used to call one of us to the TV room to change the channel, back in the olden days before there was a remote control. He didn't even get off the chair to do it. He would call someone from the other room to get him a glass of milk, to pour him a drink. Sometimes when he was dozing in front of the TV, one of us would try to change the channel quietly, thinking he wasn't really watching. But he'd jump to attention and bark, Don't touch that! I'm watching that! And of course we'd retreat. Ted was a really good provider. He was successful at work. And he went to work. He came home at night. He was around. But to me as a child... He was kind of uh, a shadowy figure to be avoided. I think he just really needed the booze to feel normal. I think if you drink every day, you do. And there was a window after a few drinks when he was happy and charming and smiling and laughing with us. I grew up assuming that this was what men were like. I think that was the draw of Mad Men, the series that's set in the 60s. I have a friend who hates that show. In her opinion, nothing happens. But I have 
I have such a fond nostalgia for smoking and drinking and the blatant sexism on that show. And I think it's purely because that's what I grew up with. But anyway, the night I was invited to the table, he regaled me with the usual stories of his childhood athletic prowess, which were actually not an exaggeration. His popularity with the girls. His blue and red eyes sparkled as he told me how he would drag the girls behind the boards at the hockey rink, which sounds really gross to me now, but which I took for granted as just some fun teen shenanigans at the time. And I'd heard most of the stories before, of course. The kitchen table fun always started with stories from his glory days before the descent into dark contemplation, then contempt. Outbursts of frustration with a fist pounding for emphasis. But I was the audience that night. I was at the table. He was talking to me, laughing with me. At 14, I was not in the habit of boozing with my friends yet, and I don't recall whether I had a few drinks that night, but drinking was a natural part of our daily life, so I probably did. I remember one of my brothers talking about how his friends would would talk about how much they drank and partied when they went to university, but in his case, the drinking at university was light compared to at home with Ted. I was proud that my dad could drink anyone under the table. Imagine how impressive such an achievement would be for a 95-pound girl. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Along with the storytelling, at one point, he said to me, If I were a boy your age, I'd be after you. Really? I remember feeling shocked. Creeped out? yet somehow flattered. How how could that be? I I was fat. I wasn't actually fat. I just thought I was. I was I was flat chested. I had a turkey neck. I wasn't a sexy goddamn broad. I looked like a little girl. I had chubby cheeks and a baby face. I had dimples in my knuckles. I don't remember anything else about that particular night other than ruminating later on my confusion. The next day, in the sober light of day, he was his silent, gruff self. But he started noticing me after that. He started worrying about what I was wearing. Tube tops and skin-tight jeans were the fashion in the mid-70s. And although I was tiny, I had hips and thighs which made me see myself as fat. 
I took my jeans in until they were so tight I had to lie down to put them on and invariably broke the zipper, so I would put a pin under the zipper to hold the zipper up. One night after I came home, he noticed the pin under my zipper was missing. What the hell have you been doing? I was dumbfounded. I take the pin out to use the washroom. I went into the washroom, and there was the pin on the back of the toilet tank. I had used the washroom when I got home. What did you think? I was really offended that he would jump to conclusions. One night, I got home ten minutes late from roller skating with friends. He swatted at me with the back of his hand and yelled, If you're so horny, you can fuck yourself in the morning. What the hell is that supposed to mean? One night, my brother and I were under a blanket together watching TV on the couch when he came home. And he accused me of hooking up with my brother. This was insanity. But sober Ted wasn't like that. He was largely silent. These wild accusations only came out when he was drinking. The problem was, he drank every night. You might think this would make me hate drinking, but even though I didn't like his behavior, I viewed it as normal. I don't think it occurred to me that it should or could be any different. One night when I was 16, not long after we moved to Sarnia, I was invited to the kitchen table again. This time, I felt old, very mature, a little more confident, no longer a callow little girl of 14. For some reason, though, the bottle wasn't rye. It was a magnum of sparkling wine. Well, I may be able to hold my share of whiskey, but as far as I'm concerned, wine is the devil. Sparkling wine in particular. It did not take long for that wine to go straight to my head and fog it right up. I felt wobbly, thick-headed, not clear like a rye buzz. Just, uh, It's really hard to even describe. Ted pulled me onto his lap. Oh, shit. What the hell, I remember thinking. Surely, no. Then he said, You're my 16-year-old daughter and you're making me horny. I jumped up, ran to the washroom, and was violently ill. That was the last time I drank with him alone. But here's the thing about that. I feel lucky. Ask any woman my age about sexual assault, and it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when, who, and how bad was it. Believe me, I know I'm lucky that that's all that happened, and I guarantee you that that never would have happened without the booze. Side note, I forced Abe to watch Promising Young Woman. Highly recommended. It's uh, quite an emotional punch. At one point, you're going, what is this? And then you're going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And then you're going, no, 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 no. Promising young woman. Check it out. Anyway, at the time, I mean, I was 16. I just had to bide my time until I could live on my own away from him. I just decided he just really didn't like me. And I learned to drink. I could drink a lot of men under the table. I could stand among them, passed out, proud of my accomplishment. Proud of being one of the boys, not some girl who they felt superior to. Not too long after I moved to Sarnia at 16, I started seeing someone who was 19, a high school dropout. 
Our time together was spent crop touring, which is, if you don't know, driving around the country, drinking in the car, in a bar, or at a party. I drank rye on the rocks, usually. By then, I knew enough to be very careful of the Boone's Farm wine that was sometimes on offer. And I thought nothing of it. This is just what we did. I seldom got to the point where I was staggering or slurring. I rarely had a hangover, and I only drank on weekends. I actually could pace myself and hold it pretty well for the most part. And I used to proclaim that the sugar in the mix was what caused the hangover. You'd be fine as long as you stuck to straight liquor, I would insist. And so this became my lifestyle until I was expecting Catherine, which is not so very unusual for a young person— drinking on weekends, socially, usually just enough to temporarily alleviate my deep insecurity, my inhibitions, sometimes enough to unleash the anger that was always lurking beneath the surface, making me belligerent and rude. Always, though, the sadness and insecurity came back, and the shame. I went to work every day. I did well enough, and I thought I was fine, but... I reflect now on my teens and early 20s with so much regret. I wasted so much time. I wasted all the potential I had. It's one thing to drink because you're young and having fun. It's another altogether to drink to prove a pointless point. Oh, you can drink people under the table? Good for you. That's not something to be proud of. I missed so much, even though I didn't even know it at the time. I thought it was cool to not care about anything. It made me tough. I didn't focus enough effort on higher education or constructive interests. There are so many things I wish I had spent the time to learn well. Maybe, I don't know, an instrument, learning to paint, sculpture, writing, dance— I've always wanted to be good at those things, but when I was young, I didn't, I didn't make the effort to make it happen. I always did well at work, but I didn't invest the necessary effort to have a career I actually wanted. I coasted. I just sort of accepted whatever came my way. I settled for relationships that aligned with my, my normalization of boozing and sexism. I was often ashamed of my behavior when I had too much to drink. Keeping the balance of being uninhibited without falling into belligerent rudeness was sometimes a bit of a challenge. And then there was the challenge of keeping myself safe, even though, to some extent, I didn't even care if I was safe. But I knew enough to beware of being alone with men. But all too often, I still walked home alone late at night, two in the morning, three in the morning. I sometimes drove after having too much to drink. Impaired driving wasn't considered such a big deal in the 70s, and we all thought nothing of it. I had a friend who commented to another friend that people who don't drink are boring. This was a grown woman with grown children, not a teen. And my friend, who was a drinker himself, but at least self-aware, said to her, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, because I got this secondhand, and this is how I recall it. Apparently, he said, actually, people who drink are the boring ones. They feel as though they're more fun, but the people who aren't drinking are out in the world doing interesting things. He went on to say that sometimes he felt as though he had to drink just to tolerate people. It's interesting, isn't it? 
One of the strange things is how grateful I am for what I learned about how to handle drunks. I learned how to read the drinkers and know when to escape the room, how to dodge being targeted. I always bought my own drinks. I refused drinks from strangers. I eventually learned that I do not want to be in a relationship with someone who has a drinking problem. Absolutely no way. I still feel, though, a weird nostalgic fondness for smoking and drinking. I don't know, maybe it, maybe because it was just so ingrained, so young, even though I hardly ever bother with it now, certainly not unless I'm in a social situation. I sometimes go months without having a drink. I never crave it. I never did. I just think I have been blessed to not have the addictive gene. And although I really enjoy the taste of booze, I put on the brakes as soon as I have a slight buzz. Some people drink to get drunk. I hate feeling hammered. And now that I'm old, I feel it the next day, even if I've only had scotch or delicious Irish whiskey or a lovely spiced dark rum, neat. And I am absolutely over this idea that that drinking people under the table is some kind of badge of honor. I can't believe I actually bought into that nonsense. As one of my brothers used to say, booze is for losers, and wine is not the devil in moderation. Moderation is key. Thank you for listening. If you have anything you'd like to share or ask, email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. Have a happy, healthy week. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.